Welcome to this latest edition of the Delivery Profits, brought to you by the Delivery.world, together with Avico. I'm Peter Backman, and today, together with John Bozzicchiello, we'll talk about several aspects of delivery, and we'll try to get a deep understanding of the forces shaping this rapidly evolving sector with our special guest, Jamie Barber. But before we get on to that, John, a couple of weeks ago, you and I chatted about the weather and climate change and that sort of thing. And I was reminded of that the other day when one of the weather forecasters on TV mentioned that we'd had three seasons in one day, snow, rain and sunshine. Does that mean we can have a beach holiday and a ski holiday at the same time? Interesting you say that, Peter. Um, was it, if so, beginning of March? We're now in spring officially as the snow came down and covered the most of the UK in a good white blanket. Um, saying that, though, the clocks change next week, so we're going to see these lighter nights. It's going to be coming to barbecue weather, home on the patio for a nice beer, glass of wine in the evening. But I've booked my summer holiday as well, so I'm, I'm quite happy going to take my wife and the children away. We're going to go to Mallorca. Um, have you got anything booked yet, Peter? Uh, well, I'm going to um, spend quite a bit of time in the States, um, about six weeks, uh, which I'm looking forward to. I'm going to... California, um, New Orleans, um, the Midwest, I'm, I'm doing a lot. So, uh, the, But the weather's going to be fabulous all the time, so I'm told. And the food will be amazing in uh, New Orleans, uh, I hear. I've never been, but the food is absolutely exceptional over there. Yeah, um, that's something I'm really looking forward to. And I'm going there and celebrating my birthday at the same time, so it's going to be fun. Oh, so next time we do this, then we're going to be up to hear all about uh, the U.S.? Well, um, that would be the intention, yes. Let's hope we, we can get round to that. I think it's probably time to get the show on the road, don't you? And to do that, I'm going to set the scene with some additional thoughts that we can all discuss and perhaps pull apart. Consumers, at least in the developed world, want to eat naturally, but they don't generally want to spend a lot of time preparing their meals. They'd like to leave that up to someone else. A hundred years ago, actually probably more, people with money employed a kitchen full of cooks, people who prepared the food, washed the pots, all for the master's table. That model has broadly disappeared with rising wages and the evolution of more egalitarian societies in most countries. At first, the cooks were replaced with food from the grocery store for the housewife, that was usually the housewife, to turn into a meal for the family. And then pre-prepared meals ready-prepared, emerged. At first, they were frozen and then later chilled. But now, more recently, in the last 10 or so years, those meals have been replaced by, or perhaps supplemented with, ready-cooked meals ostensibly prepared in a restaurant. And so today, we have a market for restaurant meals served at home. But several things went missing during this evolutionary process. In no particular order, they appear to me to be the personal, almost tactile relationship between restaurateur, the chef, the waitstaff, and the customer. There's the joy of preparing food and, dare I say, a reduction in quality. There are surely ways of regaining these lost relationships, even if they can't be totally restored. For example, the customer can be encouraged to prepare at least part of the meal. Currently, she or he may just have to open the box and eat whatever is inside, with their fingers. Surely this can be made a more satisfying activity. There can be helpful messages accompanying the delivered meal. What to drink with it, where the food came from, how the recipe was devised. 
Information like this replicates the general chat with mine host at your table in his restaurant. Perhaps more can be charged for the meal, so that more can be spent on ingredients, better quality, but at a price possibly. This means that the customer has to pay more, so the quality of the food and the quality of the experience has to be improved commensurately. These opportunities come with their challenges, but none are insurmountable, and the prize is, or should be, an enhanced experience for the customer and her or his guests at home, and, moreover, an enhanced experience that he or she is prepared to pay more for. John, do you have any thoughts on that? It's interesting, Peter, isn't it, this one? Um, let, let's go back to these COVID times where we've seen lots of the restaurant meal kits coming to the market. They came to the market and there were good ones, there were bad ones, but it was trying to give the experience at home that you could get in a restaurant. The restaurants was closed, the industry was absolutely in dire needs. On the back of that, you also have the retail, and we're seeing these pop up more and more and more in uh, different retailers where brands um, take their products, they take their best products, and they sell them for a supermarket, ultimately, to try and give that brand perception at home. A big thing that you said there was around quality, and the quality of these products are never from a restaurant because they're coming into you frozen 90% of the time. And to give that restaurant quality, it's not frozen goods. It's a real challenge, isn't it, this quality um, angle? Definitely. Uh, I guess that's time to bring in our special guest today. Welcome, Jamie. For those who don't know him, Jamie Barber founded the high-end Mayfair restaurant Hush, the Brazilian-themed casual dining collection Cabana, he is one of the owners of Hache, the high-end burger restaurant group, and of particular relevance, I guess, uh, to this podcast. Together with Mylene Class, he launched My Supper Hero just at the end of the COVID lockdowns. One of the things that makes Jamie special is that he approaches the topic of delivery from several angles. As an additional channel for his bricks and mortar businesses, as an operator in a dark kitchen, creating an innovative model based on the meal kit solution uh, and probably more things as well. So, Jamie, do you want to take issue with anything we've said so far or perhaps there are things you agree with? Well, thank you for inviting me to be uh, here today. Yeah, it was very interesting what you said, Peter, actually, um, about the fact that not all of the work has been done for you on on our meal kits, for example, um, and that we reserve sort of 5 or 10% of that interaction, that experience... Um, for 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 the the guest at home, and it reminds me. I, I read this weekend about the um, IKEA effect. I don't know if you've uh, heard about the IKEA effect. Is it to do with spanners? Uh, kind of. It it basically says that um, that a piece of flat packed furniture that you put to together yourself has got more value to you as an individual than if you were just to buy a piece of furniture and people tend to have a care furniture and they take it with them from flat to flat because they've invested time and effort into it and, and in a sense we find that reserving that five or ten percent of interaction with our meal kits so that people feel that they've participated in that journey is much much more valuable than a than a, than a ready meal uh, yeah um, as a user of um, my superhero kits um, I, I must admit I'm very impressed with the the amount of pre-preparation that's done, but also the opportunity it has for me as a non-chef 
in that experience to really feel the food and, and get a real appreciation for it, something that I, I don't normally get at all unless I'm preparing my cornflakes. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's absolutely right. And, and I think um, if you compare cooking from scratch to preparing a restaurant-quality meal with My Superhero, the complexity level is, is completely different. You, there, there is stuff that you may be able to cook from scratch at home, but it would take a very, very long time. You, you probably wouldn't be doing a vin from scratch or a, or a duck cassoulet from scratch or even a cote de boeuf with truffle mash. I mean, the, the, that is outside of the skill set of a lot of even decent home cooks, and, and we, we prepare that solution for you. Right, so that is a real benefit. Yes, John. Interestingly, uh, this week I've done two of these things. I've been to Ikea with the wife. We went up there just to have a look at some furniture. Didn't buy anything, luckily for me, so I haven't got to flat pack. But what I did do, Jamie, was order one of your kits. Um, So I understand totally what you mean. Wednesday evening we had the uh, duck castlet, and it was fantastic. It came, it was very well-packed, very simple instructions to follow. Because actually the hard work has been done by the chefs in the kitchen prior to that. What I am looking forward to, because I've also ordered the Cote de Boeuf for Saturday <laughs> night. So uh, I've got a nice red wine ready to go for that. So that is, uh, when it came, it looked fantastic. So I look forward to that one. So I'll give you some feedback on that next week. Look forward to that. So there must have been a load of challenges when you were just contemplating my supper hero. Uh, what what? include in it what price right what prices and how to communicate did these things come naturally or was it a a hard process that you you had to sort of force your way through well it wasn't particularly contrived in that way i think that we approached it marlene and i both approached it in a similar way which is that we were looking for a a solution for us and for our families as consumers to be able to eat brilliantly at home with less than 10 minutes of effort. That's really what the driver was. We were a bit bored of cooking from scratch. We found traditional takeaways and deliveries quite uh, salty, poor quality, didn't travel particularly well, and we couldn't go out to eat every night of the week, especially because we had um, kids and it's all quite difficult. So we were just looking for a solution to be able to enjoy the experience of eating at home and match that with the experience of eating out in restaurants, and um, both in terms of quality and in terms of the kind of effort involved in it. And so we created my superhero for ourselves. We, you know, for me, it was my perfect. Um, uh, solution because it's the greatest hits of the kind of meals that I like to eat. So it, it, it's fantastic for me because there's nothing on the menu that I don't like because it's all the stuff that I like to, to cook. So, um, so and, and it's worked very well. People have responded to it in a fantastic way. Um, I think it's one of those things that once people try once, they totally get. Um, and the return rate of customers reordering is extremely high, much higher than we anticipated. Um, and, um, yeah, it's working very nicely, building very, very steadily, and um, people are enjoying it. What I really liked about it, Jamie, if I'm honest, is if if I ordered a takeaway for an evening, uh, let's say, again, a Saturday night, is from, from my local takeaway, from a branded uh, restaurant, I, I'd be looking at a similar price to where you guys are. So, actually, I'm getting the chef's quality at home it's not being delivered so we can choose our time that we want to eat it so at the moment we're still on the dark night so we're eating earlier but when the summer comes if we don't want to eat till nine o'clock at night i haven't got to worry about ordering a takeaway it's there 
I can't go out because I've got a five-year-old and eight-year-old. So they are very few and far between. So for myself and my wife, it's going to that, we can get that restaurant quality. Is that something, again, when you launched this with Miley and that you were really thinking about how you could engage your consumers? Um, yeah, in terms of in terms of the quality of the experience. The quality of the experience, but also the target markets that you were looking at. Because like you say, you did the meals for yourself, mm. which is fantastic. But mm. we all like to eat good quality food. And there's so many different demographics that can't, for whatever reason, make it to restaurants. They only order from takeaways. Yeah. So the demographic is different in reality to what I had expected, which is interesting in itself. So when we started My Cyber Hero, I kind of assumed that it was going to be taken up by the millennials living in central London and in people that lived in Soho and Shoreditch and that kind of area. And they would be early adopters and it would be a cool and trendy thing to do. In fact, actually, 80% of our orders come from outside of London, and they certainly come from slightly more rural areas than than urban areas like London. And I think looking back on it, it's kind of obvious because if you're in rural areas and you you open your Deliveroo app or your your Uber Eats app, you'll find that there's very very little in uh, there's little competition. There's very very few things there, and um, probably local restaurants, local takeaways probably get boring after a while because there's not that many of them. So if you're living outside of London, if you're living in, in rural areas, um, there are less opportunities to be able to eat restaurant quality of this standard at this price point, uh, food in the comfort of your own home. And I think that's what's kind of striking a chord with people. Given that we're talking delivery um, and implicit in, in my superhero is the delivery process. Mm -hmm. But how does that work for um, your products? You know, um, you can't just put a guy on a bike and, and send him off. No, that's right. I mean, so our meals have to be ordered um, the day before at at the at the latest, which is not dissimilar to booking a table in a restaurant um, or going out for your weekly shop or ordering on on a Nocado. Um, so it's not instant like um, like the the regular delivery services. And we We were very, very keen, first of all, not to own that part of the supply chain. We didn't want to be doing deliveries ourselves, so we do use third parties. And But we were very, very keen that because we're set up as a B Corp, that we wanted that to be as emissions-free and, and environmentally friendly as possible. So in London, we have a delivery partner that's 100% emissions-free, which is a, and they work fantastically well for us. Outside of London, we use traditional couriers, but we pick the ones that are either transitioning towards a, a complete emissions-free service or they're kind of almost there. So, yes, that, that is a logistics thing that we have to manage, but we're not actually doing the distribution ourselves. So for um, people normally thinking about delivery with the um, immediate delivery, short distances and so on, um, and the difficulties about incorporating the cost of that into the total uh, selling price of the product, you're suggesting uh, your business uh, works on the basis of having a a bespoke delivery service or a bespoke as it can be, but at a price. And you can make all that work so that the customer is prepared to pay the price of the delivery and the food as well. Yeah, so we, we've got two different ways of being able to order a product. You can either order a product as a one-off purchase, um, and there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. If you order as a one-off purchase, then we we charge a delivery charge, which is around sort of three pounds fifty per per box. 
Um, if you're a member of My Superhero, which is a free membership, but there's a, uh, a top up that, that, that members use or, or by topping up their wallets ostensibly by £25 a month, all of which you can apply towards buying meals. If you become a member, then delivery is free um, anywhere in the, in, in the UK. But what's interesting as well here, Peter, we had Eki Newton with us on the last podcast and we talked all about dark kitchens and both of us on that day had that light bulb moment where actually a dark kitchen is a whole range of things. You're a fantastic restaurateur that's had uh, lots of experience over the years. With this, it is very different from a bricks and mortar. How are you running this operation? How is it working for you using uh, a dark kitchens like Eki runs or do you have your own facility? So I think when we started, we started to test the, the, the proposition and, and we started with a very small singular um, module in a dark kitchen facility. And as we're growing, we, we've added more modular units into our dark kitchen. So we're now pretty much taken over a floor of the facility that we're in. And at some point, we will probably transition to our own premises. Um, and that might give us the opportunity of actually combining what is ostensibly a production kitchen with a bricks and mortar uh, high street type of presence because actually that's free advertising for us and it might be with the with the availability of uh, of, of restaurant space that's that's going very cheap because of what's going on in the in the market at the moment it might give us the opportunity actually to to have a my my superhero above the door that would be fantastic, actually, wouldn't it? If you could have a high street space, so you can have it delivered. But if, for example, you have that in London, people could pop along on that day and you'd have it where people could take that kit away with them. That's the dream. Yes. Peter, we're, we're going. Yeah. When this opens, Jamie, can you let us know? Because we'll uh, pick a kit up every time I'm in London to take back to old uh, rural Leicestershire with me, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And you have a meal... Um, and you have seconds, but you take that home and have it next day. It's a fantastic idea. Perfect, perfect. So um, just sort of talking about dark kitchens as a, as a concept, mm-hmm. um, one of the criticisms of it is that the, the consumer is sort of distant from the dark kitchen, doesn't know what's going on, is, may not be aware, but increasingly I think consumers are aware of dark kitchens. So there is a, a, a mystique um, uh, on the dark side of dark kitchens. Does that concern you? Does, is it part of your thinking um, or is it, is it a, only a problem for other types of operators? Um, I don't really see it as a problem. I mean, I think the word dark kitchen gives it a slight... Um, um, ominous tone to it. Well, but if you're an American, you can call it a ghost a, kitchen. A ghost but I don't kitchen, know if that's probably even worse. Yeah, <laughs> or a cloud kitchen. Um, I, I mean, uh, what these things are really are just kitchen spaces without having a high street presence. They don't. They don't have any front of house um, uh, exposure. Um, so they are just kitchens, and where you, we happen to be using with my superhero, we, we happen to be using that which is something that's traditionally used to for a brand to facilitate its kind of instant delivery network with the deliveries and Uber Eats. Um, for us, we're using it as a production facility. And as I say, we just got larger and larger and larger until at some point we will take over our own space. I, yeah, I, I guess um, consumers will be slowly educated about dark kitchens, um, increasingly aware of them, increasingly aware that they're not... 
bad places, that they are perfectly legitimate, um, uh, just doing a different different sort of job. I mean, we've we've got a fully fledged kitchen with you know a dozen or so really highly skilled quality chefs with a supply chain which is impeccable. So whether that's happening in the the basement of a restaurant space or whether that's happening in a facility doesn't make any real difference, I don't think, to the to the end product. Um, I think it's a very fair point, actually, because um, there are concerns that um, people are working in um, spaces without any windows, with, without any, you know, facilities to do anything. Um, I, increasingly, that is not the case. Um, but um, I, I guess... It's important to um, make sure that people are aware that kitchens, dark kitchens, are perfectly legitimate spaces. I'm I'm only raising this topic because it is raised by lots of people together with uh, what we were talking about before, which is the the quality uh, Mm. of the food. Um, And and one of the other issues that is uh, um, levied at people in the delivery space is the um, the amount of money that the delivery company takes from the um, for want of a better word the restaurant or the kitchen that clearly isn't the space the place um, clearly isn't the situation w- with you because you effectively control the whole thing but it does mean that you've got to shout more loudly to get customers than customers who may be uh, searching on an app. Do you have any thoughts about the best way of capturing um, customers and their orders uh, in the absence of a an app which is highly marketed? Yeah, I mean, launching a digital brand from scratch or virtual brand from scratch is, um, I think, the challenges for, for something like My Superhero versus a traditional restaurant brand are actually the same, but you're right in that a platform like a Deliveroo or an Uber Eats, they, they act as, a, as a, a highly funded marketing platform, and that is the place to go. We've launched a digital brand from scratch, um, but that has been our entire focus. A traditional restaurant has got other things to worry about than trying to launch an, uh, its digital presence. For us, that's you know we, we, we spend money on performance marketing, we engage customers, we have our social media presence, and it's all gained uh, it's all geared towards um, attracting customers, gaining customers. The, the best uh, way for us to gain customers is through word of mouth, and our advocates are the best form of growth for us, and that, that's what we're really trying to leverage. So appearing on podcasts like this, hopefully people will decide that they want to give my superhero a go and they will try a product and they'll love it and they'll tell their friends. And that's certainly what we're trying to, to, to do is to grow organically in that way. Well, you'll get thousands of customers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hopefully. Well, listening as well, Jamie, from what we've been talking about today is there's two markets here, isn't there, that you're sitting absolutely perfect in the middle of. Yes, you are the restauranter that has got the restaurant's bricks and mortar. A long time ago, there was HelloFresh, Gusto. These guys have been doing at-home meal kits where you have to do a lot more yourself than with yours. What you've done is brought the beauty of those two things together but made it simple for people, made it simple that you can actually have a glass of wine then just cook something and put it together 
in 20 minutes, for example. Whereas when I, I've ordered the HelloFresh before, and you can be there for an hour, you have to chop everything, you do it all yourself. So what a fantastic way. When, when you started this again with Mylene, was that something that you looked at on the model of how you can bring this all together with the other competitors that are there for you? Well, it's funny. When I, when I started it, I, I kind of thought that my, my edge was that there were some of these businesses that had come at it from a tech angle first and from a restaurateur's angle second. And, and I was thinking, I'm totally the reverse. I've come at this from a restaurant angle first. And actually, that's not the case either because I've come at this purely and simply as a consumer. So I, I have sat down on a piece of paper and I've gone, what do I want? What do I really want? And, and it, again, it was simple for me. I wanted to know that the, the ingredients that, were, that, I, that I was eating were impeccably sourced and free range were possible and organic were possible. I know that I wanted to eat something that was unbelievably tasty and I wanted to be able to put it together in less than 10 minutes. And once, once you know from a consumer what you want, you just hope that there are more people like you. That, that's the game plan. There must be more people like me. So, um, so that, that's what we've tried to kind of build out. Okay, now that's... Go, go into another side of your business now. Um, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about Hache. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason that is it's the, the burger brand, the absolute premium burger brand, if I'm honest in my eyes. How has delivery evolved for you with that business? Um, we've had COVID where you, I've read articles where you had to furlough lots of staff, you had to get more chefs in. How has that affected your business model there with delivery? Well, when COVID first hit, we, we had this difficult decision to make as to whether we shuttered all the, all the restaurants or whether we kept them open from delivery. Um, and I have to say that at that point, I was, I was totally on the fence, didn't really know which way to go. And it was my business partner, Ed, that said we should keep open for delivery. And at that time, we, we, we did that in consultation with all the staff because we didn't want to force anything on them. It was a very uncertain time. They actually wanted to stay open because they wanted that sense of routine. They wanted to be in some kind of social environment, not just be stuck alone in their flats. And it paid off, that decision paid off because we ended up doing five times the amount of delivery business during COVID that we, than we were doing previously, which is obviously not a surprise because there weren't many offerings at that point. Um, and delivery has generally settled down to a little bit above COVID levels. Um, our, our, it's, it's obviously not the 5X that it was um, prior to COVID, it's still an important part of our business. I just think that financially, it's a, it's a tough model to make on its own. I think if it is purely incremental, which was the original sell, if it's purely incremental to your other business, um, then I think it makes total sense. But there is definitely a tipping point whereby if you start to have to throw additional cost into servicing the delivery, whether it's labor cost, You've got to employ more people because you're coping with the demand. If you're in a dark kitchen environment, you've suddenly got to add on rental costs, extra utility costs. I think that's when the model starts to come under pressure because by the time you've taken off the delivery charge and you've taken off the food cost, um, the margin contribution is quite slim and you've got to do really high volumes in order to make it work as a standalone business. Okay. Is it... Um Dark kitchens, is that anything you've ever looked at with any of your bricks and mortar sites to try and expand your footprint uh, in the capital and again with the um, Haché brand out of London? Um, well, uh, as I said, it goes all back to the economics. So if you imagine there's a £12 burger fries meal that's sold, you take off the VAT, so that leaves you £10. 
then the delivery the delivery operators traditionally charge thirty percent of gross, not net. So you take off another can't do the math, another four quid roughly. Yeah. So that leaves you six pounds. Then you take off the food costs and the packaging costs, which might be another three pounds fifty. So you're left with a couple of pounds before you've even paid any rent, before you've paid any utility charge, before you've paid any staff, before you've paid any staff. You have to sell a hell of a lot of burgers and fries to make that work in a dark kitchen environment in a standalone location, especially because you launch in a new location and you've got to spend a lot of marketing in order to show the public that you're there. So, you know, I, I think if you can try and get to volumes of maybe £15,000 a week, it all starts to make sense. But that is a is a big ask in a new location um, unless you huddle together with several other dark brands and hope that, you know, if you put four or five dark brands together, you'll get to those kind of volumes. And that's not a game that we particularly want to be playing. No, that makes total sense. Uh, and then alongside that, there are these other issues that we've already talked about. Um, the relationship, the, the fact that... Um, Typically, working through a dark kitchen, you don't have access to the customer because the um, aggregator won't share the information with you. Um, the the pressure on the prices, all of those, um, make it incredibly difficult. So, you know, bearing those thoughts in mind, um, the question arises: Yes, but delivery um, is it a business? Does it last for the long term? Where's it going? What what is it? These are these are all large questions that are affecting all sorts of different people. Do you have any views on that, or are you are you a bit like me? Believe that um, there's the demand, and there will be a way f- uh, found to satisfy it to, to some degree or other. Yeah, I think there is a demand. I think it goes back to a report that I read back in pre-COVID, which was called Share of Stomach, which um, had the proposition that everybody eats 14 meals a day, uh, 14 meals a week, um, uh, excluding breakfast, and everybody is fighting it out for control over one or two or three of those slots. And the consumer does like convenience and does like to, to eat things that they can't cook from scratch. And so I think delivery in whatever shape it ends up in it is always going to be a part of that ecosystem. Um, it's all about trying to find the financial model that works for both the suppliers of those meals and the deliverer, deliverers of those meals. So that That's what it's really... And whether the customer in, in the end of the day is prepared to pay for that. Yeah, I think that those are the issues that we, we're trying to address on, on the delivery profits. Just to have a view um, about the, the, the things that work, the things that don't work... Um, and what I find very interesting is because there are so many people involved in this, there are the operators, there are the um, aggregators as well, but there are also um, all the tech companies um, uh, and the landlords who own dark kitchens. Everybody is trying to react to how everybody else uh, is reacting. So right now we're in a, a situation, it seems to me, where there are so many different things happening that it's actually very difficult to work out the the total direction of the of the um, delivery activity. Um, but going forward, um, I think um, it's here. Um, the, the, the precise shape is um, perhaps um, not nearly so clear. But um, people doing things like you with my superhero are also. Um, opening up new fronts in this war, if I can put it in that, uh, 
uh, aggressive way. It's a war, Peter, isn't it, that isn't going anywhere, as you say, the terminology. But it really still baffles me where it is. Is it just tech? Is it around tech and data collection? Is it around people sat at home with a smile on their face or sat in their office enjoying their food? And I feel there's still a part for delivery to play. But you'll never get away from that bricks and mortar. That Where there's a host in there, where you're being cared for, that is the 100% bread and butter. But like myself, I can't get there every week. So to get a delivery takeaway, to get a My Superhero kit, there is a huge market for it. It's uh, just how that fits. But fun- funnily enough, I have um, a customer that has sent me a lovely email to say that they have replaced their weekly takeaway with uh, a My Superhero ex- experience. And the lady gets together with her husband and they have a glass of wine on a Thursday night and they put together the kit with each other um, and it is part of their almost social interaction. They find it a wind down and they enjoy a delicious meal together. Um, and and so I suppose we are bringing a, an element of that hospitality at home um, which is difficult to replace with a, with a kind of um, more traditional takeaway meal. That, that You don't get that kind of experience from, from a... A regular takeaway. Agree totally, Jamie. I'm bagging a takeaway. You'll never get that back, like you said at the beginning, is you're giving someone 10, 15 minutes just to build it. It's almost a date night at home. People can yeah. have this date night that was always a huge thing. Let's go out, let's spend time together. But actually, with um, the current climate, how people's wallets are being pinched a little bit, to be able to do this and enjoy a lovely glass of red wine for myself, Don and my wife loves Prosecco. So, we can have what we want, but we're still getting that quality. Yeah. Date night at home, Peter. This is the way forward, Mr. Batman. Well, that's a very um, encouraging view, very, very positive. I really like it. So thank you very much, John. Um, I, I guess we're probably getting to the time where we're going to begin to wrap up. But, um, Jamie, is there anything you haven't said uh, about what we've been discussing or about your business or about anything that um, that you'd like to say? I think this this is an opportunity for you to... <laughs> Uh, to say that or, or not? Uh, well, I just hope that people are inspired to try us out. Um, that it, funnily enough, leading on from what you were saying, John, one of our original slogans was make your night in and night off. And actually, nice. that's exactly what we're, we're trying to do. So, um, yes, if, if, if anything comes across today, I'd love people to give us a go. Great. Jamie, I have two questions for you. One's uh, an important one for me, selfishly, is Beef Wellington. Is it ever going to be on the menu? I am I am desperately angling for a beef wellington. I think it might be part of our dinner party solutions, which is coming soon. Oh, well, I'll definitely be ordering that. And the second one, can you just please tell our listeners what your website is so they can actually go on to order? Absolutely. It's www. Do people still say www. anymore? They do, because do they? when they come onto my website, yeah. they have to type it in okay. because... Um, otherwise, it doesn't work. A delivery uh, hero, Peter. Uh, so mine is mysuperhero.com with a two piece for superheroes. And amazing the number of people that put my superhero, but that was the gag. But it is actually mysuperhero.com. Do you own both the websites? No, unfortunately not. Oh. <laughs> so make sure you all order because it was exceptionally good. Excellent. So, so thank you very much. And a, and a really big thank you to Jamie for taking time out of your very busy schedule to join us today. Um, and all the very best of luck. And uh, we're great supporters of yours. 
here's a reminder then that where whether you're a delivery company, a marketplace app, a technology company, a restaurant owner, investor, or simply someone who loves to order takeout, the delivery profits is the perfect way to stay informed and ahead of the curve in the world of food delivery. You'll find the delivery profits on Spotify, Amazon, Google, or the other places where you normally get your podcasts. And there's more at www.thedelivery.world forward slash the delivery profits. And you can tune in to the next edition of the delivery profits for the insights, interviews and analysis that will keep you ahead of the game in this exciting and ever evolving industry. So it's goodbye from today's delivery profits. That's me and John and Jamie. Goodbye. Bye.